Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we will examine a very familiar Christmas passage that comes from the Old Testament prophets. We will see that there is a determining feature concerning this chosen one's purpose that will take us back even further than the prophets. It will take us to an earlier promise of God that was made to King David. Thanks for listening this morning as we examine the nature of the chosen one as declared by the angel to Mary as the son of David. I can remember back to third grade gym class where I was in Florence Elementary and uh, every day gym class was always my favorite. Anybody else favorite class? Gym class? Always my favorite. See that hand saying? That's right. And the problem, this one particular day, was we had uh, been ushered into the gymnasium. And if you've ever seen the gymnasium over in Florence, you'll know there's no windows. It's completely dark in there. And the teacher told one of us, it might have been me, but I wasn't listening, uh, told one of us to turn the lights on. Well, here's what happened. The class, as a bunch of third graders, made their way into the gymnasium. And when the door shut, it was pitch black. Now... We were going to have some fun now. Because if you're running around in the dark screaming, your adrenaline is pumping until you hear someone smash a shin on a bleacher or you hit your head on a, on a bar. And um, I can remember after the lights came on, and a funny thing with the lights, they had those like spaceship dome mercury fluorescents, right? That you'd flip the switch and hear like a, the ballast shake the ceiling. And then slowly the lights would come on, but I remember there was one girl in the class who actually did get hurt. And um, I can remember feeling like the problem was you couldn't hide anymore because the lights were on and we were in trouble. <laughs> we were in trouble because we didn't, we didn't follow the instructions. We didn't do what we were told to do. In fact, even afterwards, I remember thinking that we don't actually give recognition to the gratitude light gives you, you take it for granted when it's on. It's only when it's off you find that things don't go the way that you want. Even if you think it might be fun, even if you feel like fooling around, you're only going to end up harming yourself and you're going to harm each other. This is a human problem whenever the lights are off. You don't make clear judgments in the dark. You can't, you can't lead anyone else if you are in darkness. You'll never fulfill your own potential living in the dark. And you can't enjoy freedom by remaining in the dark. You can see the physical problem manifest as a bunch of third graders, right? But you might also recognize this is a spiritual problem. This is a spiritual problem in our world. It was a spiritual problem in Jesus' day. It's a problem today. And as much as the light of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ is found rooted in our hearts that it would shine forth, I hope you can recognize like myself that the darkness is still trying its hardest to try to quench out the light. This morning we're going to be continuing in this series called The Chosen One. And our goal is to read the narrative story of the birth of Jesus through the lens of the very first apostles as they recorded it for us.
Because the problem that you and I have is it has carried a bunch of baggage from our culture. I mean, how many of you watch those girly Hallmark movies? Be honest now. Right? Yeah. I tried to watch one. I couldn't even make it 10 minutes. What, what, what's the song? Uh, city sidewalks, busy sidewalks. Dressed in holidays. In the air there's a... Yeah. You, you guys know that song? The, the whole silver bells, right? Where's Jesus in any of that? Not there. Not there. And, and, and you and I, if we're not careful paying attention, we will end up carrying what the world has put as baggage over the story of the birth of Jesus, and we'll bring that into the manger. We'll bring that there to the nativity scene, and none of it belongs there. And what I want, what I want us to see this morning is that as we look at that story, here's what we're going to have to do. You and I are going to have to go back to what the prophet said concerning Jesus. And then for this morning, we're going to have to go back even further. It's going to be a little fun today. We're going to to be like archaeologists. We're going to go deep into what was said and then what was said about what was said. And what you and I are going to find is that what is so often said, even by me and maybe you as Christians, which is Jesus is the reason for the season. Have you heard that before? Right? And that's what we want to say. Actually, what we're going to discover this morning Jesus is not the reason for this season. He's not. We're going to try to answer that as we get to the end of it. So I want you to hold on to that question. What is the reason for this whole season? So with that in mind, I want to encourage you to look with me. If you have your Bibles in the book of Isaiah, uh, we are going to look at a passage that is, uh, uh, was already quoted or uh, shared with us uh, as Wendy did our New Testament reading in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew, the gospel writer, identifies that Jesus in his preaching around the region of Capernaum, so uh, the northern territories, um, Matthew's going to understand that this is to fulfill what was said by Isaiah. And then as we read what is spoken by the prophet Isaiah, we're going to see that Isaiah is going to call to our attention an even older text, a more ancient promise to which we will see plays a role in how we understand the coming of the Christ. Uh, With that in mind, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Isaiah says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future... He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan for the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation And increase their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest. As men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. For it will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government 
will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This reading for us shows up in the New Testament text in a variety of places. Uh, none most less important than today or more important needed to see the verse that helps us understand the coming of the Christ. Uh, as we're looking through this, uh, there's a few ways in which you can understand uh, what Isaiah is saying. And I want to break it up for us by breaking it into two, two parts. Uh, the what of, of what is happening uh, and then the how that's going to happen. So the very first thing that I want you to see, the what is going to happen is that a great light will appear. You will see that in verse two. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Uh, this is a fulfillment of what Isaiah has said previously in chapter one, knowing that in the past, God has humbled this northern land, but that it won't be like that forever. There is coming a time in the future when God will bring honor to this region. And he will do it through the illumination of a light. That's what's going to happen. Uh, two illustrations that are used for this. Uh, the first is uh, this idea of walking in darkness. Uh, we have these, uh, I use them many times as sermon illustrations, these two little dogs in my house that think they own my house. Well, one of them, the littlest one, they sleep wherever they want on my bed at night. I push them over to Emily's side all the time. Uh, but the little one can't jump up there, so we have these stairs so that he can just make his little way right up there. Well, if you're not paying attention in the middle of the night as you're walking to bed, you're going to do one of those on those stinking stairs. Now, do you know how many times I've stubbed my toe on those in the light? Never. <laughs> only at night. Only in the dark. I'm going to be honest. Have you ever done the same, right? Walking in darkness? I, could, I can think not only of the harm that you cause for yourself, but there's times where, I don't know, it's a little creepy even walking in darkness. I can't see what's behind this corner. I remember being a child going out early in the morning hunting, thinking I'm very nervous right now. Monsters are going to eat me because I'm walking in darkness. The spiritual version of that in your life is no different. The spiritual version of walking in darkness, you're going you're to cause harm to yourself. You're going to find yourself fearing the wrong things. And then because you fear the wrong things, you will order your life incorrectly. The second illustration that we see here is not just walking in darkness. It's this picture of waiting for the morning, waiting for the dawn. Um, this um, two years ago, I got to go hunting in South Dakota, and uh, there was one stand in particular that I walked out um, at, at very early in the morning, and you could see you could see all the stars shining. And I I've never hunted there before, and so being unfamiliar with it, I found myself in the stand having to use in my imagination what might be around me because I couldn't tell 
until every little incremental photon that came from that morning dawn revealed this beautiful vista in front of me. Have you ever seen that? Just to welcome the dawn of that morning light and how it feels like whatever those fears or worries or, or concerns that were, that were weighing heavy are now somehow melted away in the newness of a day that's brand new. Those are the pictures that we are given. This is the what is going to happen. The promise is no longer will it be those who live in difficulty. God will honor this area. And in so doing, he will bring a light. Now, the, the result of this light is also the what, and it says that the people will rejoice. And so verse 3 all the way through verse 5 are a picture of that joy. As it was in this morning that we lit the candle that represents joy, our text says that here in verse 3, you've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. And then we're given a few examples of that. Harvest time. I don't know, I'm not as, I don't live quite in the agrarian culture, but to me, an accurate connection might be dinner time. Anyone get excited about dinner time? Always excited about dinner time. There's a joy that we feel with that. Um, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Well, again, I've never, I've never done that either, but this idea of receiving something that is now an unplanned blessing that you have. And number, uh, verse 4 includes the day of Midian's defeat. I'd love to take a longer amount of time to just unpack what that means to the Jews. Uh, the 60-second version of it, if you would like some homework, read Judges chapter 6 and 7. And in this story, you will see that the, the Israelite people are being oppressed by the Amalekites and the Midianites. And the text records it in a way that makes it akin to slavery. They are like in bondage. There's no freedom anywhere for the Jewish people. And God raises up a judge. You might know the story. His name is Gideon. Do you guys know the story of Gideon? And the, the story of Gideon goes like this. Gideon has all these warriors that he gathers, even from those northern tribes. He gathers them all together to go and to fight. And then God says, you have too many. There's too many. And so the numbers gets pared down smaller. And now Gideon thinks with this smaller number, he'll go into battle and God says it's still too many. And it becomes this tiny amount, tiny amount of people who, who are definitely going to lose. Like that's the story of it. They are totally going to lose this battle. And they go in, they go, they go anyways. They go into battle and they uncover their torches and they blow their trumpets. And the text says that God made their enemies turn on each other. And the battle was won by God. It's important that we catch that. It's important that we recognize what we're seeing here, this kind of rejoicing, is number one, like freedom from bondage. It's like freedom from slavery. That's the picture. In fact, we're told a little bit further down in verse four, the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. That's the first thing that we need to see characterizes this rejoicing. The second thing that we need to see is that God is the one who does it. God is the one who does it. Not by might, not by power or strength. The rejoicing comes because God said he would and he did. So with those two in mind for us, I want to move to the second part of this, which no longer describes the what that's going to happen, but now... Isaiah tells us how this is going to happen. 
How are we going to see a light? And how is there going to be great rejoicing? Firstly is this. A son is given. A son is born. In verse 6, you see the child is born and that a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. Um, Just for lack of time, I can't uh, unpack each and every one of these, but we are given four titles to describe this son. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father here may also better be rendered as Father of Eternity. Uh, Not so much this picture of God the Heavenly Father, because I think if we just read it in English, that's maybe what you think. But it's rather this idea of seeing a champion of supernatural origin who has control from all eternity and will continue to be in charge ruling over all eternity. That's what eternal father really is intended to mean. So without going a little bit further on that, that's the how we are going to see the light. And then how are we going to find victory? Because he will reign on David's throne. This son will reign on David's throne. Which means, number one, there's a promise that God is going to be keeping, fulfilling in this one. And then secondly, we're actually talking about government. I don't know if we think of that very often when we celebrate Christmas. Do you know that Christmas is political? Did you know that? Not political in the way the world likes to talk about politics, but political in the sense that there is now going to be a new established governing authority through which you and I find victory. Look with me back into the text. It says, to unto us a son is given. And what is going to be on this son's shoulders? What does it say there? Did you catch it? The government will be on his shoulders, meaning he will be the one setting and ordering the laws and the decrees, that which is just, that which is fair. This son will be the one who establishes that. In fact, you could jump down a little bit further and see in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace. Isn't that beautiful? What happens with human governments? Peace? Nope. Nope. I mean, you can break it from the largest government you can imagine all the way down to the governments of your little home. Right? There's, gover- there's governing authority in your home too. Not often enough do we find peace, the characteristic of that government. But that's what it's going to be for this one, the one who brings the light. And what that means for you and I is that the way God's people find victory is by following the government of his son. Following the rules of his son. Following the decrees and the justice of his son. Not your rules, not your determinations, not your decrees, not your perspective. To follow his way of seeing things. His way of ordering what is right and what is wrong. All right, give me an amen if you're with me on that one. All right. The Davidic rule to be found fulfilled in the coming of the Christ child is actually told to us back in 2 Samuel. We had Wendy read this, but I, I want to just draw your attention back to the promise of God. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there, but I have it on the screen as well. 2 Samuel 7. The text says that the Lord declares to you what the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Now, the reason why that is important is because if you back up earlier in this chapter, David, who is the king, is in his coronation desiring 
to build a house for God. Now, we know that to be not the tabernacle, but what? What does David build? He builds a temple. And so, well, David wants to build the temple. It's Solomon, who actually his son that builds it. But we see here, look at the kindness of God. David says, I want to build you a house. And what does God say? I'll build a house for you. How, how marvelous of our God. That he would do more for you than, uh, than we could ever even produce for him. And that's what he says here. The promise is, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up from your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Your house and kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. Now, listen, folks, if God says it, God's going to what? He's going to do it. That's right. This is the place where we see as we've gone back in time, Isaiah is picking up on that. Look with me back in Isaiah. If you have your text still chapter nine, verse seven, he right in the middle of verse seven, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. This is the key identifier. As I'm trying to piece together for you the what that's going to happen, light and rejoicing. How? How are we going to get light and rejoicing? Here's how. A son is going to be given to you, and the governmental control for how people live will be determined by him. For he will reign on David's throne. That's the picture. And so if you and I are walking this the right way, through 2 Samuel... Through Isaiah 9, this will completely change how we understand what is told to Mary. And so let me fast forward to our Christmas text. This is Luke chapter 1. It says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Do you guys catch it? Are you, are you connecting the dots on this? Because this old text is actually the fulfillment of this older text from Isaiah, which is actually the fulfillment of an ancient text, a promise of God, to say there will come one who will rule on King David's throne. Now, the reason why this matters to you and I is because of this word right here, which means Christmas is political. And it actually changes for you and I the meaning of Christmas. Because what I want you to know is that the reason why all this has to happen is because of darkness. That's why. It's because of sin. That's why. It's because of the corruption that we humans have brought to God's creation. The reason for the season is sin. That's the reason. And the answer is Jesus. Do you see? It's a subtle little change. And I know what we mean when we say Jesus is the reason. It's not silver bells. Right? That's, I, we all know what we mean by that. But if we were really honest, 
If we were really honest, we would know that the reason for this whole season is because we need a new governing structure over our lives. And the reason we need that is because we carry sin with us. And do you know what sin is like? It's like a bunch of people walking around like this. That's what it's like. Blinded and constantly hitting our shins on stuff and bumping into each other, breaking our relationships and tearing each other apart, biting and devouring with unforgiveness in our hearts. That would be the result of humanity. And so the reason for this season is that you and I would have freedom from that darkness You and I would be liberated. So I wrote this down. I said, darkness is the reason for the season. So light is given. A corrupted life, having been lived in the shadow of death. If you caught that in verse 2 of chapter 9, right? These people are living in the shadow of death. That's the reason for the season. And so a child is born. The messed up world of human governments, nations, corporations, unfair laws and judges... That's the reason. And so a son is given. Here's what you and I need to hold on to for conclusions on this. Number one, Jesus is God's ultimate expression of kindness. I want want to remind you of that ancient text from 2 Samuel. David says, I'll build you a house. And God says, slow down. I will build a house. How kind of God. If you're with me back in the text of Isaiah, you can't miss the end either. And this is critical because there's no version of Christianity that's dependent on how good you are. Can I say that again? There's no authentic version of Christianity that depends on your righteousness. Look with me at the very end. Verse 7. I'm going to read the whole thing again. You've got to turn with me and look at this, you guys. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, not your zeal. That's why the Midian example is used. Gideon got all the men that he could gather to go and fight and free them. And God said, man, you got to stop trying to do this your way. You've got to stop trying to live after the way the nations live. Get your army down smaller and then even smaller to the point where you are going to lose. And then God says, watch what I can do. And so if in your life, if in my life, I'm finding that there is an abundance of that darkness that's depicted in my own ability, strength, or righteousness, I'm blind. I'm going to be hurting myself. I'm going to be hitting my own shins. I need the light of the awareness that God's zeal, not my zeal, will accomplish this. There's a word for this. It's called grace. It's called grace. And so Jesus is God's ultimate expression of grace, of kindness. Now, I also want you to see that um, Jesus is God's ultimate expression of kindness to the nations. Now, we know that already because we're all Gentiles here, but uh, you would be offended if you were a Jew reading verse 1. Go with me all the way back to verse 1 because it said, In the past he humbled Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. In the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Do you see that? Where is Galilee? Galilee's in Israel. But it's Galilee of the Gentiles? 
Now, you would have known that if you had lived back then because this was the place where there was a huge highway and there were all kinds of nations that lived up there. But you would have been offended if you were Jewish because you would want the Messiah, whoever he is, coming to establish your nation, not to bless the Gentiles. And so we have to recognize this as well. The political statement of Christmas is that this government that will be established isn't just for Israel. It's for the Gentiles. It's for all nations. Look at me again in verse 7. Verse 7 gives a few characteristics of this government. You guys with me? Verse 7. The increase of his government and peace will be no end. Here's what that means. There isn't one little bitty nation that's going to be blessed through the government of this chosen one. It will What's it say? It will increase and there will be no end. Do you notice that? There will be no end to its increase. God's desire is that this chosen one would come and would establish this new order of living under his rule and authority and that that would be extended to everybody. It is global. Additionally, you might see here that it's a fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom. That's what we looked at already, right? Ruling on David's throne. Uh, thirdly, it will be established through justice and righteousness, which, the, which means the rule is determined by God's form of justice, by God's form of righteousness. And one last thing to point out about this kingdom is that how long will it last? Did you catch that? Say it good and loud, Phil. Forever. 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 And so that's this last observation. Jesus, or last conclusion. Jesus is God's ultimate expression of kindness to the nations forever. That's what Christmas is about. That's what it's all about. So what do you and I do with this? I want to offer to you three, three challenges this morning. And even as I mentioned as we started worship today, it's my hope that this isn't going through the motions for you. Um, there's a reason why I submit myself throughout the entire week as I study this text that I would attempt to be living it out so that I can bring with integrity the challenge to you. Please try to live this out in your life. Number one is this. Look to Jesus. Come out of darkness by looking to the chosen one. I want to ask you, where do you find darkness in your life? And it's going to be manifest in a lot of different ways. Only God can be the one to reveal to you where this is. It will be manifest, though, characterized by a yoke of slavery, a bar over your shoulders, and a rod of oppression. That's what it will feel like. It will feel like captivity. And I want you to know that the answer, the answer is not looking deeper into your problems, the answer is looking to the light. There was a time when Emily and I were serving as missionaries that we would have teams visit, and on the last day, we would take them to just look around at the beauty of God's creation, including this cave. There was this really long, super cool cave, which I'm probably too old to go into now. But I remember uh, going in with some friends, and we thought, I wonder how dark it is in here. I wonder if you could, if you could get out, if you didn't have any light. 
And, and what it might have been like for people before electricity with candles, right? What if you dropped your candle or you were in there in dark? So here's what they did. They took my cell phone. They took my flashlight. They went on ahead of me and I waited and then I was going to try to find my way out. And that was a pretty stupid thing to try to do because it was completely pitch black dark. You can't, couldn't see your hand in the front of your face. And I can remember trying to feel my way along the walls only to find that the walls kept curving into places where I'm getting further lost into this cave. Until finally I could see just, I could see just a speck of light. Do you know what that feeling is like when you're in the darkness and you can, oh, I think that's light. I think that's light. And so instead of focusing on the sides of the cave, what did I focus on? I focused on the light. And I made my way slowly but surely. And here's the thing, just like in that gymnasium, once we turned the lights on, the closer I got to the light, the easier it was for me to live or live, to find my way out. You get the point. Because that's the spiritual reality for you and I. The closer that you get to the light of Jesus Christ, the more your life will be ordered according to his governing political authority. I want to show you this verse from John, John 3, 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. My, my encouragement to you is don't look at your problems. If you do, you're probably just going to get further lost or frustrated. You won't, you won't fix what's broken by focusing on the problem. Instead, look to the light. Secondly is this, follow Jesus. Jesus is the chosen one. He's the fullness, the expression ultimately of God's kindness to the nations forever. And so follow him. I wrote this down. You live in the light by following the ruler's governance. You saw already with me that there is no end to the increase of his government. This again from John chapter 3, it's the next verse. John's, uh, John quoting Jesus, Jesus says, Everyone who does evil hates the light. That's exactly true. If, you, if you're not going to follow Jesus and you want to go your own way, you will find yourself in opposition with Jesus. You will hate the light because you will have loved darkness. And you will not come into the light for fear that your deeds will be exposed. This is a better one. Again, John writing in his epistle, 1 John 1, he says, This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. So let's just break that down real quick. So we, we sort of explained it this morning. What does that mean to walk in darkness? It means you're following after whose government? Everybody, yeah, your own government, the world's government, not his government. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk how we want to walk, we lie and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. So if your fear of exposure because you have sin, by the way, just admit it. Sinners, raise your hands. Let's get it over with like a band-aid. All right, good. Everybody good? All right. How do you deal with it now? How do you deal with the sin? You expose it to the light and then you follow what Jesus commands and the result will be the blood of Jesus, his son, as we saw prophesied already in 2 Samuel and Isaiah 6, it will purify you from that sin. So look to Jesus, follow Jesus. And this last one is critical for us as Americans. You and I need to treasure Jesus. 
Is there a present under the tree that you're looking forward to? Anybody? Can't wait. Tear into it. Come on. Kids, when you were kids, do you remember that's how it was? And those are the things that, unfortunately, our hearts then find attraction towards. My encouragement to us today is that you and I would not take Jesus for granted, but that we will treasure him. Uh, You know, in gym class, we took the light for granted. We did until the lights were off and we got into trouble. The same is going to happen to you. If you take for granted the light of Jesus Christ, you might find yourself at times wanting to fool around in the darkness. And what I, what I really want you to know is that darkness is the reason for Christmas. But Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the answer. And as a gift, I want you to treasure him. Treasure him with the affection of knowing that is your reconciliation with God. In fact, you can help me with this because John has this last verse quoting Jesus, but the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. That means that God will do for you what you cannot do. God will be the one who accomplishes the victory. God will be the one, therefore, who gets the glory. Therefore, God is that which you and I will treasure. Can you finish this verse? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, like a present. For God so loved the world that he gave. Let's make sure that we look to the light to order our lives, that we learn to follow Jesus and how we live, and that we treasure this gift of God who has done for you and I what we could never do on our own. Amen? Let's pray together this morning.